Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, April 10th, 2013. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, we will be speaking with the father of responsive web design, Ethan Marcotte. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. I was going to say animated GIF enthusiast, but I was afraid I wouldn't be able to. (laughs) You can do that for the outtakes. That's fine. There you go. (laughs) So, yeah, I think uh, this, like I said uh, before we started recording, this is our first three-way, so I'm not sure. Be gentle. Exactly. (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) It hurts less if you don't tense up, I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking notes. <laughs> it's a learning experience. Yeah. This will be a fun one to illustrate. <laughs> <laughs> so this is our uh, 52nd episode. Is that right? Yes. Kelly? Yes. Um, sort of kind of our birthday episode. Yes. If we, uh, we do typically, uh, every year that we do the podcast, we skip the uh <laughs> Skip the Christmas week, so this is actually technically not our birthday podcast, but we're going to go with it. We're going to go with it. And uh, Ethan, we're very excited to have Ethan on the show. Um, We've been trying to put this together for a few weeks, and um, as the dear listener knows, we generally talk about a variety of tools and workflows and concepts around building apps that run everywhere. And these days, um, you know, the web is a massive platform for reaching the broadest audience. And in that realm, responsive web design is taking over the world. Um, (laughs) It's just a great response to response to um, sort of massively fragmented mobile landscape and just huge number of computing devices that uh, have entered into everyday life. Um, I know I've got a couple of questions. I should we just? Uh, I don't think we have any housekeeping or anything like that. So I was thinking we just jump into questions. Um, just that we had mentioned last week that we wanted to stream this live, but we're having having you stream issues and unable to do that. So <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, that's a shame. Yeah, the listener will know that by the time they hear this recording. I suppose. Oh, yeah. Good to yeah. good to point out for future generations. <laughs> Apologize for the fact that you were unable to find us on Wednesday. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I guess, Ethan, there's probably no better expert on responsive web design than you. Um, I would agree with none, none of that sentence. but uh, <laughs> no, no pressure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm reading about it furiously as you guys talk. So, uh. <laughs> we're, expecting, we're expecting nothing short of brilliance. <laughs> yeah, things short of brilliance are really all I can offer. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's great to be here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, our pleasure and, uh, and happy birthday it's, uh, it's a hell of a milestone thank you thank you um, so I think there's a million questions we could ask about like technique and you know how to do this and that but I feel like that stuff's all been been pretty well covered on the interwebs so if people are interested in, you know if people were interested in finding out about how to do responsive web design or what's involved with you know media queries and fluid mm-hmm. grids and relative units and all that there's plenty of resources not the least of which is your book um uh, that you wrote was a was a book apart right yep yep uh let's see it came out in 2011 i think mm-hmm. um yeah but there's i mean there's plenty of resources out there now i mean um 
you know, like I said, there are plenty of people that are doing a better job writing about responsive design than I probably am. But, uh, you know, folks like Brad Frost have a bunch of great resources, cataloging design patterns. Um, you know, the guys at Paravel um, have been, you know, doing some really beautiful work, like they did the Microsoft.com responsive homepage and hmm. um, a bunch of other really great responsive sites. And, um, you know, Filament Group has been doing a really great job sort of producing tools and frameworks to make this whole thing a lot easier. So, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of people actually writing about it and um, the resources are out there. Yes, absolutely. And we'll link to all those things you mentioned in the show notes if people are looking for more uh, sort of nuts and bolts details mm -hmm. about these sorts of things. <clears throat> the thing I really, the thing that uh, I've been wrestling with, and I would love to get your, your take on it, mm. um, is working with especially large clients um, that, you know, that for which responsive web design is a new thing. Mm -hmm. I've been getting a lot of, you know, a lot of sort of normal people contacting me explicitly for responsive web design work. Mm. Uh, but <clears throat> and I, we were laughing a couple of weeks ago. I even had a contract that included the words responsive web design in it. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the new HTML5 or whatever. Yeah. 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 You know. yeah. So, but, but then when you get into the, the actual project, there are uh, a surprising number of mental shifts that at least in my experience, large organizations are not anywhere near prepared to deal with mm. uh, in terms of, of, of actually going through the process of cre creating a responsive design. Mm -hmm. Has that been your experience as well? Uh, to, to, I think to varying degrees. I mean, I think I've been pretty fortunate to have worked with a couple clients, um, even worked with you on a project uh, with uh, some, some organizations that they may not have necessarily understood everything that a responsive approach was going to entail for them at the outset, but they knew that something needed to change with their digital strategy, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and they, at, so they were sort of taking on this responsive design kind of at the same time as, as asking those bigger questions. Um, you know, I worked on the Boston Globe responsive site launch uh, back in, oh God, what was it 2010, I guess. Yeah, I think um, so. And, uh, the, it, you know, I talk about it now. I mean, it was it was a fantastic project. I mean, this was kind of the first large scale responsive design at the time, mm -hmm. and we had a lot of things going for us. And that it was a new, um, a completely new property, so we could really sort of like revisit the design process from the beginning and figure out what it needed to be. But <clears throat> I think there were plenty of challenges that we sort of knew we'd have to deal with around like editorial design. Uh, advertising is still kind of like this this one big issue that everyone's kind of dealing with right now, responsive or not. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that there's a bunch of different ways you can start asking those questions, even if you can't do the sort of like throw everything out at once and start over approach. I mean, I've worked with clients that, you know, they'll sort of experiment with the responsive design on like a smaller online property or a specific section of their site so they can start figuring out what those pain points are. Um, and you know we worked together obviously on uh, on People Magazine's site yet last year, which was intended as just a mobile property exclusively right. from the outset. Right, like up to um, seven inch, I think it was. Yeah, at the time, and I think they were going <laughs> to broaden it a little bit beyond that after launch. But um, uh, yeah, m.people.com is effectively like a full-on responsive site um, that's accessible to any device. Um, but that that at least allowed them to sort of like quarantine, I guess, a couple of the 
the trickier bits from a business standpoint mm-hmm. and sort of figure out like, okay, well, how is this going to scale? Um, and lots of folks have been taking that kind of more conservative approach. I mean, The Guardian and the BBC both have completely responsive sites that they're serving up to their mobile customers. Um, so that might actually be a decent way of sort of like beginning to tackle that problem. Yeah, I do think that's a good way forward. That's something that Brad Frost advocates as well, mm-hmm. which is which is do the M dot site and you know deal with the redirect stuff, but then eventually know that you know that tree will grow into the new the new website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the approach we've been taking on, on one of the projects I'm working on right now, and it was completely unintentional at first, but we're mm-hmm. really liking the way it's going. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I think if you've got the latitude, or I guess the the, the drive, I guess, internally to really kind of do that full responsive approach. I think that's great, but um, there's nothing wrong with a more conservative approach either. I mean, anything you can do to optimize for delivery to more devices and screens, I think the better off you're going to be anyway. But so mm. there's, uh, there's better, you know, a million ways to skin the cat, I guess. Yeah, I think even these sort of monolithic, um, old school, large organizations are, they're certainly at or beyond the point where they're feeling the pain of mul- of managing multiple properties. Mm-hmm. So they definitely, you know, there's interest there and there's budget there, um, but the the sort of devil's in the details. I'll give you an example because you brought up advertising. <clears throat> Working with one client that, that, you know, explicitly asked for a responsive site, mm-hmm. you know, presumably the understanding, <laughs> my assumption being that they understood what that meant. Right. But they still want to you know, they have a big ad sales department and, you know, the assumption was we would somehow try and make the ads responsive, which Mm -hmm. as we all know is very tricky, but there's an even more complicated piece to it, which is that they want, they want more inventory. Mm -hmm. So they want, they want to sell ads, you know, they want to go to Cisco or they want to go to, uh, you know, IBM and sell ads for the mobile site. They mm-hmm. want to sell ads for the desktop site. They want to sell ads for the tablet site. And we'll give you a, a bulk discount if you buy ads for all the sites. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you know we're building <laughs> one site, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, right, there was a bunch of really great writing around this, I think, end of last year. Um, like Mark Bolton had a really great essay on sort of like, yeah, that packaging problem. Um, and Roger Black also had another article on the topic as well and I mean because I guess like the the challenge everyone sort of thinks of when they talk about responsive advertising is the layout one right it's like you know everyone's still designing these cute little IAB package whatever sizes Mm -hmm. um, that are just fixed width and height and that doesn't really work that great on a completely flexible site by default right Um, but the I mean the way those things are designed and sold is this whole other challenge and you know Classic. <laughs> I'll put in my girl from Ipanema music. <laughs> uh, so I think, um, you know, one of the things like, I think, I think Mark was talking about, you know, selling in terms of like resolution ranges. Um, you know, it's, you're, you're basically buying properties that sort of scale up to a certain point. Um, mm-hmm. So you might start at the smallest end and then buy all the way up through that largest end. But um, yeah, that, I guess in a lot of people's mind, like responsive design is like, okay, well, I get this site that works on, you know, on my phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're still sort of thinking about it as a device specific solution, even though it's, I think it's intended to be a little bit more broad and agnostic than that. Yeah. 
and and it's not it's you know I'm it's sort of the dear listener might be quick to be like oh well that's stupid you know they shouldn't mm. want they shouldn't want to do that mm-hmm. but you can imagine a situation and this is a this is an actual example where um, you know they want to the client wants to sell ads uh, uh, how do I describe this without getting anyone in trouble that <laughs> they they need to sniff they need to know. Uh, what device it is in order to to serve ads to Android users differently than to iPhone users because they're selling stuff that only mm-hmm. works on Android phones and only works on iPhones. Yeah. So that's a completely valid point because you don't want to um, display irrelevant ads to people who are coming in on, you know, you, you don't want to advertise an iPhone app to an Android user because what's the point? Mm-hmm. So it's very, it's, I don't know, you know, I like, I, I'll, I haven't seen those articles that you mentioned, so I'll check those out for sure. But it's, it's, uh, a, I think a good example of, of a very sticky problem that is not technical really at all mm-hmm. that comes out of the notion of responsive web design. Yeah. I mean, so many ads are still sold in terms of like their position on a page, you know, this is yeah. going to appear in the C column above the fold, quote unquote, um, you know, well, when that design is a completely linear approach, I mean, you know, we came up with a decent pattern, I think, for the globe where we could sort of keep an ads like a specific property kind of promoted as high in the page as possible, depending on the width of your screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that there's there's this sort of like larger conversation that needs to have happen kind of on the advertising side of things about, you know, what this this flexibility means for us. Mm-hmm. Um because yeah, they're still very much thinking that you know mobile, tablet, and desktop are these three separate platforms that are just these neat little buckets that we can sell to, and things are a lot blurrier uh, <laughs> yeah. than we might like to think. So yeah, and yeah. we're always talking about stuff like Google Glass. Like, is that going to be a, mm. the next? You know, will be there be four? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, game consoles are actually the sort of the thing I've been most interested about. Anna Debenham is doing a lot of research in terms of just. You know, there's a, there's a sort of like sleeper hit of um, online browsing that nobody really talks about. You know, so, um, she has this great presentation uh, that she did for this responsive day out recently. You know, she was doing some research, and I think something like one in five teenagers using a console basically to visit websites. Mm. Um, wow. You know, this is for them, their mobile device is this, you know, Nintendo 3DS or this PlayStation Vita. Um, so that's this whole other realm of, you know, input types, screen sizes, and design considerations that we're not talking about right now. Um, so anyway, it's, you know, responsive design is not just about phones. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, yeah. it's definitely hard to kind of, I guess, communicate that sometimes. So it's shifting gears a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. another, another problem that has, um, has cropped up repeatedly uh, mm. projects that I've been on, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's me or maybe it's not, but it, it, your, <laughs> any kind of a, a sort of feedback or wisdom you could, uh, offer would be great. But just this simple notion of, of how do you do design reviews or basically how do you get sign off mm. from clients during a process that's, that as I see it is, is incredibly iterative. Right, right. Yeah, I kind of feel like we're, generally speaking, just trying to like figure that out right now. Um, <laughs> I mean, because when I was working on the Globe, we were, 
it was an incredibly like very strict kind of waterfall process until you know myself and um, you know filament group came into play you know they'd sort of done a lot of their upfront research they built a content inventory uh, sitemap wireframes did these beautiful comps of what the site was going to look like on a desktop and um, it was really fantastic work but at the same time it was like you know just as like deliverables it was like documents that kind of communicate what the site's going to do you know there was nothing in there to sort of like convey you know what this is going to feel like on touch you know what this is going to look like on a widescreen display um, so yeah I think it's it's something that I know a lot of people are kind of wrestling with right now and at least for us on the globe it was really about going back to the client saying okay these these comps are kind of like a, a catalog of assumptions I think we call them yeah uh, you know incredibly yeah. well-researched assumptions but like we need to we need to have some latitude to you know build a responsive design build an actual working prototype and if we need to revisit some of these assumptions you know we need to be able to talk um, talk with you about them yeah I know that's that's been the biggest struggle I've had is when I've when I've come in to to develop a site that mm. that someone else has already designed and they have the design comps you know they may have a desktop and they may have a phone but mm -hmm. version but then there's there's everything in between and and quite often the two aren't aren't sort of practical in that in it, you you couldn't do it practically as a responsive design because the phone is so so completely different from the desktop and and yet they want that responsiveness and, and what have you right. so it's just a, a mental shift there that they don't seem to quite be making yet yeah it totally is um and well i mean i think that you know in all fairness like we're we're at least on the on the design side of things and development side of things from a service standpoint still trying to figure out you know we've been using this this linear waterfall approach for the last 10 or 15 years and well hell we borrowed it from you know print shops right uh, this all the way from you know this one through line from uh, research all the way to delivery uh, you know worked really great when you just had this sort of one deliverable but you know when you're designing this flexible thing it doesn't scale that well so um, you know, I think it's as as long as you've got that flexibility to go back to the client from time to time, if there is that time in the budget or in the schedule to kind of revise the design, um, if issues come up when you're actually building it out in a responsive framework, I think that helps. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, there's some upfront work I've found helpful, like more paper, paper prototyping earlier on in the process. Um, you know, thinking about the design as a system of modules. So, you know, you're essentially building these discrete chunks and maybe reviewing those rather than in the context of a complete page. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, you know, Photoshop still has a place in the design process. and But I think we, we tend to convey to our, at least in my experience, like there's occasionally projects where you're, we're sort of treating design as this sort of finished thing, you know, by showing these Photoshop comps. And I think that, the more we can kind of expose the iteration and kind of show that it's about these smaller interconnected things. I think it, I don't know, feels like it might help with that. Yep. Um, I yeah. agree with that. <laughs> uh, yeah. My, my experience with the, um, it, it's a little frustrating and I'm not sure if it's just a question of it's a new thing for clients mm -hmm. or if it's uh, just a, a human thing. Mm -hmm. where because even if you're you know you can get so a typical approach that um we've been taking or at least i think kelly's been following the same sort of path which is 
um, you kind of start with a start with um, some very you know gray boxy yep. um, designs in the browser, so w- which you know are responsive, so you can scale them up and down, which we lovingly refer to as spaghetti frames. Nice. Instead yeah. of wireframes, so that so the the client can get a feel for what the most important things are on the page, where they'll fall at different screen sizes. And my experience is that they're you know they'll sit there in the meeting and they'll go yeah yeah I get that no the login mm-hmm. should login should go before the join form definitely that's the most important thing. Um, and then as soon as you do anything that's high fidelity. Mm-hmm. All that gets thrown out the window. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, now that I see this, mm-hmm. you know, and they get really, really pulled in a, it, it, well, I shouldn't say it all gets thrown out, but lots of it gets thrown out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw this hilarious talk from, uh, that Stephen Hay gave at BDConf mm-hmm. um, about, doing all of that mobile first and spaghetti frame stuff behind the scenes. But then when it comes time to show it to the client, you know, full screen, your window, print it out and give them a piece of paper (laughs) and say, Hey, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. And then they kind of like get the mobile version for free, but they never actually reviewed it. Interesting. Yeah. And, and it's, it sounds like, um, trickery sort of, (laughs) <laughs> but in my experience, you know, in my experience, that would have almost certainly worked in at least two cases. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't run into that particular issue um, myself. I mean, I think that. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I mean, this is something we're still trying to figure out and kind of formalize this different, more iterative way of working, I guess. Um, and uh, I mean, a couple of things that kind of spring to mind is um, I know both. Uh, Dave Rupert and Trent Walton at Paravel have both written some really good ar- articles on kind of how their design process as a as a studio has changed. You know, mm-hmm. Dave's really not sort of developing, like I said, pages before. He's really kind of building a UI component library, and that that might have influenced their their design process too. Um, so yeah, I think that. I mean, it sounds like you did everything right. Just you know, it really sounds like, yeah, once that that sort of like. 960 pixel wide view of the design kind of came into place. Maybe some old instincts kind of popped back in. Um, yeah, it's but, an, it wasn't just. It, it's it's uh, it's been more than once, and it's been on projects that where sure. where I am managing it, and projects I'm not managing it. So mm-hmm. I think it's. Uh, I don't know. It's it's it, obviously we are still figuring it out. I think there will be some. There'll be a light bulb moment for clients after a while. Mm-hmm. But it is still, I mean, it is still hard to say, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I love the way that accordion looks and I love the way that, uh, you know, that recirculation <laughs> pop-up comes on yeah. screen. But when I see them all together, and I don't really like it. I think for a lot of clients, um, there's, a, there's a lot of reassurance in having that sort of static static comp that they can, they can sign off on. And mm-hmm. uh, that's just, that's not there with mobile. It requires a... I mean, yeah, flexibility. But I mean, I think it. Um, you know, with, if they have a, a nine sixty pixel wide layout that they can sign off on, then they're they're sure that's how it's going to look. And and um, with a responsive design, things are shifting around. And mm-hmm. I, I think they they feel like they're giving up some control. And it's just a, a shift in mindset. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I mean that's that's right. I mean, I guess it's 
it's a loss of control we might have never had in the first place, I guess. Um, so yeah, the illusion, be, yeah. the illusion of control is now like totally gone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, there's still some control, but it's not quite as much as we, we thought we had. But, um, I mean, have you guys worked with style tiles much at all in any of your client work? I mean, yeah, uh, and it's, it's, I don't know. I, I, Kelly's more of a designer than I am, mm. which is not saying, not saying much actually, now that I think of it, because <laughs> I'm kind of, well, wow, yeah. I'm kind of, I mean, I'm the kind of person that appreciates the simplicity of like, a, or the effectiveness and utility. Functional design. Yeah. Craigslist and Reddit and, you know, they're God awful ugly, but they're mm-hmm. wicked fast. They work amazingly well. They do mm-hmm. exactly what they're supposed to do. Uh, and I... Go. I mean, that's a little bit extreme, like Craigslist or Reddit, but but I'm pretty much like I get really eye rolly when it comes to um, some of the fancier, more. I don't know. I don't want to. I mean, I don't know. I'm just I'm just a developer. Superfluous decorative. Yeah, it's the 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 like the attempt to achieve pixel perfection at the expense of like performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me, is a mistake. Mm-hmm. And I get I get frustrated with it, and uh, I don't know how style tiles put me onto that, but <laughs> yeah, it was a, no, but it's a good rant, so go with it. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, yeah. but the, so the style tiles thing to me is like I don't know. It just it feels like um, it feels like it's more for the people who are going to implement the design than it is for the client. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I I can see where you're coming from. I think that for me, style tiles. Um, and background for folks that aren't familiar, Samantha Warren, who's uh, now a designer at Twitter, I believe, she she came up with this idea for style tiles, which are um, this new deliverable that she started using in her client work. Um, they're basically like uh, essentially these responsive mock-ups that essentially are just present like a palette, um, you know, some type ideas. They they the benefit that I found is that like, they're lower fidelity than comps, but they get people thinking about design you know about an aesthetic independent of layout mm-hmm. um so for me anyway like that's been that's worked really well with those sort of like lower fidelity page mock-ups you know those i like spaghetti frames that's that's pretty fantastic <laughs> but you know treating that as like a parallel process to some sort of aesthetic create create uh exploration um so you're not necessarily it's it's not necessarily like two things happening you know one after the the other, you can sort of like start focusing on visuals while you're still doing this content inventory, this functional spec. Um, sure. But yeah, no, I mean it, it makes perfect sense to me. I just haven't yeah. seen it. Sure. It just doesn't yeah. feel. I'm I'm glad to hear that you're having success with it. I, I that has not been the case with me. Yeah. Uh-oh. Well, I should I should I should preface this by saying uh, I haven't done client work since uh, last summer. I've, co-founded the startup uh late last year so uh <laughs> i'm a little rusty maybe but that, that i had some really great luck with style tiles when i was sort of working with clients so that's um that's a good point that you can you can sort of be working on that alongside of your your responsive and spaghetti frames and, and that kind of thing because i've i've used i've used mood boards with clients in the past mm-hmm. and i've had i've had mixed success i've had some that say oh yeah this is great and it's it's really helped them visualize things and i've had others that have just sort of you know, it's kind of kind of confused them because yeah. it's not anything more refined and i like the idea of of kind of presenting them both to the client at the same time yeah because i think it's i mean i think 
like I said, we, we, we tend to treat design as this sort of big reveal. And I think that if we can, and I don't know the style tells are right, but I think the more sort of like incremental approaches we can take to sort of like exposing how we get from spaghetti wireframes or spaghetti frames to, you know, this finished look, you know, if we can show those middle steps a little bit more closely, um, that's where I've, you know, had really good luck. Um, and I, like I said, I don't know if, there's, if that's the best answer, even if there's one answer, but um, that's worked well for me in the past. Yeah, I think it does. I think it is a really good approach, and I do think it's helpful for the for the team. So it's certainly mm-hmm. worth doing. As a deliverable, I think it depends a lot on how much imagination the client has. Because you still have this, you get, you know, I've I've gotten the question like, well, what are we supposed to be approving here? Mm-hmm. Like, are we supposed to be approving, you know, the, for, you know, they still get the, the, you know, the copy's wrong. You still mm-hmm. get that. So you have to be even careful with like old school stuff like that. But mm-hmm. then it's like, well, you know, the ads should be farther up the page. The logo should be bigger, you know. The, uh, well, and then you're like, no, 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 don't don't worry about that. What we're mm-hmm. worried about more is the color palette and the, you know, you know, and you just kind of have to like focus them down. I mean, I guess it's just a client management thing, but. Well, yeah, just a client management thing is a pretty, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that makes it sound like an easy thing at all times. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, there's a couple different discussions in there, right? Like there's one about, you know, layout and placement of different properties. And that's definitely a valid one to have. And you know, for those, it's it's I've found it to be helpful about like talking, you know, you're talking about the design in terms of breakpoints, right? I mean, you're talking about like, if it's a fairly straightforward design, maybe there's three breakpoints and you can get people talking about, you know, breakpoint one, two or three. Um, you know, if there's a little bit more, then maybe that's uh, something to balance. But um, from a purely aesthetic standpoint, um, I think style tiles can be helpful just in terms of talking about a look and feel about like, conveying like a um like a tight palette or colors if they're too warm or too cold yeah. you may not spend weeks on end talking about them but you know at the same time like as the sort of like the the page schematic is sort of shaping up um some of those bigger creative discussions are kind of still happening so i don't know um that's what's worked for me in the past but yeah it's it's like i said it's not a solved problem right yeah, I totally agree about the color. The color they're great for colors and type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good for that. Definitely, mm-hmm. it's it's the <clears throat> it's the layout stuff that gets weird. And it's like, no, no, don't look at the layout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at the yeah. look at the spaghetti frames for the layout, and look at this for the. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't want to spend too much time, I guess, keeping those things distinct. But right. you know, at some point, they hopefully can dovetail. So yeah, um, yeah, it's interesting times, I guess. Absolutely. <clears throat> so you mentioned your startup, and I did want to talk about that a little bit. It's is it editorially? Yeah, editorially dot com or get editorially on Twitter. Um, nice. Yeah, it's, Kelly and I are huge fans of uh, of Markdown. Oh, cool. Which okay. I believe is uh, I'm not. I literally just um, learned about editorially like leading up to today. Okay, so cool. yeah, I, I just yeah. now learned about it. So. <laughs> yeah, well, we're still running kind of silent. So uh, <laughs> can you talk yeah. about it at all? Or Yeah, yeah, no, totally. We're in private beta right now. Um, and editorially is basically an application that's going to allow people to essentially write better together. Um, you know, myself and I co-founded the editorially with Mandy Brown, Jason Santa Maria, David Yee, and um, all of us 
have worked on books, we've written blog entries, you know, anything that we've ever written, anytime that we wanted to bring somebody else into that process, um, that's where things get kind of awful. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and everything that I've written, like it's made better by other people looking at it. So there's this like, there's always historically been this overhead of like, you know, you're shipping word documents off to friends and editors on a book or, you know, mailing out like links to secret URLs so that people can review blog entries. Um, and, you know, for us anyway, like there really hasn't been this perfect tool for getting kind of an editorial workflow in place. You know, there's plenty of great tools for writing in the browser, writing on your phone or your tablet or whatever. Um, but what we wanted to be able to do was just sort of like ease that, I guess, that workflow point, you know, really just help people work better together. Mm, very um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of excited about it. We're working on it right now and um, we've got a, pretty excited group of beta testers that are just sort of kicking the tires and giving us some great feedback. So, um, yeah, we just can't wait to ship it. Yeah, I've definitely, I've felt that pain as well as having written <laughs> a couple of books and, you know, track changes is like, oh, man. kill me. Oh man. Yeah. 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 I feel like I need a beer every time somebody talks about track changes. It's just, you know, so much pain. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful magical thing, but it's this, it's, it's this whole other thing to manage. So, yeah. 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 Good luck with it. Oh, it thanks. Sounds, thanks. Yeah. You know, definitely something I I could see myself using. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. No, we're getting there. It's um, and it's it's a completely responsive app. So, um, which has been really interesting design challenge. Um, but a really fun one too. So. Oh, that actually that is a perfect segue into one of the <laughs> questions I had for you, which yeah, was fantastic. As we all know, on the web there mm -hmm. is. You know, there's no silver bullet for anything. There's no one solution for everything. Right. And uh, and in my consulting work, I do a lot of pretty much everybody. You know, my phone rings when somebody wants to get on an iPhone, and mm -hmm. they don't. A lot of times, don't really make a distinction between um, an app and a mobile site, or a, you know, sure. a mobile web app. Or they're not. Or they do make a distinction, but they don't know what's the best fit for them. So maybe that's you know they want to kind of talk that through mm -hmm. and uh, and there's just you know there's a sort of hazy line between what's a web app and what is a website oh yeah totally I, I don't really understand what an app is technically but uh, <laughs> yeah I mean, but you yeah. know what people mean when they say it it's like it's right. like it's a very gray area it's kind of like I know it when I see it yeah yeah exactly and to it's me it kind of that does stuff <laughs> it's a thing that does stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I'm, um, wondering is what are the things that are red sort of red flags to you or what, how do I ask this question? Like when you, when you are approaching a project and maybe editorially was one of them, when do you say, Mr. Ethan Marcotte, that responsive web design is a bad fit for this? Right. Uh, well, I don't know. I've never had that conversation. Um, I do think that there are, heck, I've written about this. Um, you know, I mentioned this in the book. I mean, I think that, you know, this this notion of like any kind of like context for your users is, um, it's, it's just this really kind of gray and problematic area. You know, we always used to think of terms of like mobile versus desktop that, you know, we have these two different device classes um, and we can sort of infer a set of goals from them. Um, and I think that, you know, we, we thankfully, I think matured enough to sort of point out that that's, that's not 
it's not as easy as saying that you know all mobile users just want like the top five most important pages on your website. We want to be able to do more on these small screens, mm. um, and we should be looking at ways of doing them. But uh, that that said, I mean, I think it's entirely possible that you know your site or your project might have a specific like mobile use case, um, and that should be something to be designed for. And I think if that's the case, then you know custom experiences. Um, are definitely the way to go, um, but uh, I think I think just sort of defaulting to this assumption that you know because somebody's on a different size screen or a different input type on their device that they want to be able to do less or more things um, that's that's dangerous territory. So, if, but if you've got yeah. the research to support that or your audience is asking for that, then yeah, by all means, I'll be the first to tell you that responsive design is the last thing you want to be doing. Right. Um, but, so uh, is editorially it, it's a. Uh, web site right it's not a like a native app yeah so it's a web-based application it's in the cloud <laughs> wherever that is uh <laughs> i'm not a fan it's, of that term it's somewhere but, in the uh, amazon exactly yeah somewhere <laughs> around yeah a couple of cumulonimbus files floating by but uh uh yeah so it's uh, on editorially.com you can log in and um yeah, we just wanted to make sure that your your words, your documents, you know, they're going to be accessible to you regardless of the size of your screen. So, hmm. um, that's uh, that's kind of how we've been thinking about the design process. Cool. Yeah, we're getting there. It's fun. Great. Well, geez, it looks like we're coming up to the top of the hour. Um, okay. Kelly, did you have anything uh, anything you wanted to ask or? Ad? Um, I feel like an idiot for saying no, not really, but I think we've pretty much covered everything that I was, that I have, you know, have been interested in. Um, your, your thing about, you've been talking lately about the um, sort of like fluid grid systems being the new tables. Yeah. Which. Yeah, I kind of, I, at first, when I first started in it, on the, the fluid grid system, I was like, oh, this is this is nice. I like it. And then the more mm. I used it, it just felt, oh, uh, this is, you know, this is this is just cluttered, and it, it mm. feels like it feels like the the new tables for layout because you get you get things like you know span six, column three, and oh, I don't know, CSS it just frameworks. it just feels yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got I got opinions on CSS frameworks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I could I could definitely see that. I think. Um, I think a lot of off-the-shelf CSS frameworks—they're—they're they're fantastic and like indispensable for. I find them great for prototyping, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I should clarify. I know that there are a couple that have sort of been iterating, so they—they might have made some improvements. But yeah, there's that. Um, I'm the kind of guy when I do actually have to write some HTML. Like I, I obsess over class names. Yes, and, uh, me too. Yes, and yeah, right. semantics and fist bumps all around. Well, yeah, I mean, so <laughs> but, you know, when you've got something like call three or you know is phone or something like that, <laughs> HTML, it's like there's a there's a really interesting like disconnect that happens there. It's like okay, well, this is a three column element, except when it's not. You know, when it's the same. Yeah, exactly. It, crazy. It, it makes me makes me want to punch kittens. <laughs> I knew you guys were my people. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of feel like, and this is maybe like a naive thing, but I kind of, I, I feel like our we should be writing markup that, you know, sort of survives the current design, uh, yes. you know, as, as much as possible. I mean, that never, that rarely happens, but like, I think that's an interesting design challenge is to, 
to think beyond the current style sheet. Um, so, uh, you know, that's kind of how I approach my HTML. And, you know, I think that it makes the CSS a little bit more maintainable too, but right. um, I you mean, can the, build incredibly quickly with those frameworks. And I think as a result, they're great for building stuff like those spaghetti wireframe you guys are talking about. You know, if you need to knock out a quick grid system, they can be handy from time to time. Sure. Yeah, I mean, the way we usually talk about it is it's like, you know, there are exceptions to every rule, but it, I think people's defaults are very important. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> and if I was going to make, uh, it's, that's sort of my protection against making blanket statements where I'm not saying it should always be like this, but I feel right. like we should default to to sort of more semantic class names that are, that I, I love your your sort of rule of thumb to survive the current style sheet. Or the current yeah. design. It's like, a, it's a great way to think about it. Like if someone was going to have to, you know, CSS Zen garden, this thing, what would you, yeah. what would you have put there? Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, oh, sorry. Sorry. I said, it's a, it's a very good sort of, sort of progressive enhancement type of approach too, because if you, if you're writing your, your markup sort of regardless of, you know, to sort of, to sort of work and, and be regardless of, of the style sheet, then yeah. you're going to have a lot more, you know, cleaner, cleaner markup that, doesn't doesn't depend on on the CSS. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, you know, you don't want to be locked into a specific source order because you know that's what the the framework requires, or that's what the the row layout requires. And you know, and like I said, I think there I think frameworks can be a really powerful tool and a really good tool, but um, I'm I'm personally a little leery of using them for production code. You know, for an actual live design. Mm -hmm. um, Makes makes me feel less crazy because I feel like we're sometimes I feel like we're in the minority on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were, I mean, there's some really beautiful design tools that are you know are, are a bit they trend a little framework. I mean, I don't know if you guys have looked yeah. at Gridset App. Um, no, uh, Gridset App is uh, Mark Bolton Design created this amazing grid designs um, tool in the browser, basically. Um, you know, for building these really complex and responsive grids. Um, you know, so you're not locked into a specific like 12 or 16 column framework. You can build. They've got all these great examples of like these really old, you know, classic grids. You know, sort of. Um, you know, what's uh, what's one example? Um, uh, one one called the Fonmon, which is you know, uh, based off uh, this layout of bookshelves in this old castle. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and there are these incredibly gorgeous specimens, um, you know, one called the Marber, um, which is based off the old uh, golden ratio grids that they used on the Penguin book covers. Um, you know, our, our grids can be, I guess, is like as, as complex or as not complex as we want them to be. And stuff like Grid Set App is kind of, um, well, it's frankly kind of liberating to use. It's a lot of fun. Oh, cool. Have to check yeah. it out. Yeah, yeah. Lo lots of great links this week. Very good. Oh, cool. High five. <laughs> All right, great. So I want to be uh, respectful of everyone's time. We should probably uh, wrap at that point. Cool. Well, thanks so much for having me, guys. It was really uh, it's good to talk thanks to you, Jonathan. And yeah, it was, it was great to be here on your year episode. Happy birthday again. <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much. So that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. See you later. Bye. <laughs>